welcome to the Brindlewood Bay Kickstarter special. My name is Jonah Knight, and I am very happy to be here today with Jason Cordova. Hello, Jason. Uh, hi, Jonah. Thanks for thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, for listeners, if you're already a Brindlewood Bay fan, this is going to be great. This is right up your alley, because we're going to get into some of the changes that might be coming to the game with the upcoming Kickstarter. We're going to be talking about some of the community reactions to the game so far, some of the community contributions, and we're even going to get into the weeds with some of the game mechanics and publishing details. But first... Jason, when people ask you who you are and what you do, how do you even answer? Yeah, uh, so I am the founder of The Gauntlet, um, and this podcast episode is going into all of those podcast feeds. Um, and I co-host one of those podcasts, uh, Fear of a Black Dragon, which is about old school RPG uh, game modules. And um, I'm also the head of Gauntlet Publishing, which is uh, published games like Trophy and Brindlewood Bay and The Between, as well as The Codex Magazine. And so, yeah, um, I've been pretty deep into the indie RPG scene for a long time, as I'm sure most of our listeners here know. And uh, Brindlewood Bay is actually my first role-playing game that I've designed and created, though. So I'm actually really excited that we're we're finally at this step with it, you know? Yeah, and and before we dig into all of that stuff um where did the spark of brindlewood bay first come from how did it come about yeah so well for people who don't know brindlewood bay is a game about elderly women in a small new england town um they are fans of murder mystery books and indeed they're part of a club called the murder mavens and they have their their little lives, their retirement in this little uh, coastal New England town, but they also solve murder mysteries taking place in and around the town of Brindlewood Bay. There are all these murders, and so they have to uh, get involved and figure out who did it. And as they sort of solve the murders, they start to learn that there is a dark occult conspiracy that connects these various murders and so they ultimately have to face that dark occult conspiracy i like to say that the game is murder she wrote meets uh like eldritch horror or hp lovecraft right like cosmic horror it's it's murder she wrote meets the shadow over Innsmouth, right or cthulhu she wrote as some people say um yeah so that's that's kind of what the game is but it originally started to get back to your question i was originally developing a game called the between back in late 2018 and the between is a game about um monster hunters in victorian era london it's inspired by penny dreadful and things like that i was having good luck with the playtests. um we were kind of playtesting it a lot um in the gauntlet spaces and it was really getting a good reaction and people really enjoyed it but the problem was i knew i wanted it to be a mystery game but i didn't know how to structure the mysteries so that anyone could run it like i could do it from my head (laughs) but i didn't know how to like I didn't know how to like present that and systematize it so that other people could could do it, you know? And so I knew I had to come up with a mystery system that was going to work for this game. And I also knew that I didn't want to rewrite the between 50 times. And so I made the decision to make a smaller game that would just focus on murder mysteries as a way of testing out this idea that I had 
sort of uh, brewing in the back of my head about a mystery system I wanted to do. And I think it was uh, the Gauntlet's very own Lowell Francis on Twitter who said something like a Murder, She Wrote game. And then someone else said, um, yeah, like Murder, She Wrote meets Cthulhu or something like that, right? And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So I, um, I just took that and ran with it. And the really nice thing is, you know, Brindlewood Bay started as essentially like a sketchbook game for the between, but it's grown to be its own thing and is and has lots of fans and has lots of like community created content and third party content and people making stuff for it. And it's just become its own sort of thing. And 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 I really love that about it. it it's a special game to a lot of people and to me. And so I'm really happy that we're able to finally bring it to Kickstarter and get it in this form that I think is um, worthy of the game. I've been running the the actual play Roll to Metal for some time. So mm-hmm. this has been my my head had thank you. Uh, my head has been in this game for I think about 8 months now. So I have a lot of questions that come from my experience with trying with running this as a campaign yeah, and, and sure. just focusing on it. And my first is that I guess just semantic wise, do you consider the version that's out now, the PDF, do you, do you think of that as the first edition and the Kickstarter will be the second edition? How do we differentiate the names between the two? That's a really good question. And I've got to be perfectly honest with you. I don't, I don't know. Um, (laughs) I know what I, I know what the edition that currently exists. I know the, 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 the purpose it serves. I haven't really given it like a zero E or one E title. Um, I mean, the reason why we did it the way we did it. So we released this sort of 40-page PDF version of Brindlewood Bay, which we consider to be a full game. It has all the mysteries you need to run a campaign, and it's a complete product. Um, but it's digital only. Uh, it's not in color. And it's a pretty slim rule set. And you, so you have to kind of infer a lot of the gameplay from just, like, your own experience or whatever. It's not in the text, you know. But it's very, very playable, and it exists on RPG. And right now, incidentally, it's pay what you want, and there, there'll be a preview version in the Kickstarter as well for people to check it out. But we released it that way, knowing that we were going to eventually go to crowdfunding because we just wanted to give the game a chance to find its legs and find its audience, you know? I realized pretty quickly that people were responding really well to the game, so I knew we wanted to do more with it. But I also didn't want to just immediately rush to crowdfunding. Um, we, we've had another project trophy that we've been working on, and we were kind of getting another project before that, Hearts of Wulin, out the door. And so I knew that we just needed, we were going to have some time to sort of get Brindlewood Bay in people's you know, consciousness, I guess, and get them to play it importantly and to try it out. And so that was really sort of... Um, why we did it that way. Like it was just a, the, the version that exists now is just the version that is meant to like kind of help people get excited about the game. Right. It is a full game. Uh, we hope you'll upgrade to the Kickstarter version, but, uh, because we're adding lots of cool stuff to it. But, um, I think for us, it's just, we wanted people to try it and play it. And so we just wanted to get, get it out there. I think what I've been calling it in recent weeks is the preview edition, okay. <laughs> um, because that's what it'll be called on the Kickstarter page is the preview edition that will officially be its name at that point. But but we love it as it is. I mean, it's a great game as it is. And so um, and people have responded really well to it and had a lot of fun with it. Uh, but yeah, but the Kickstarter edition is the sort of final, like uh, very fleshed out uh, version that has all of our learning about the game after having had a couple of years to play it and, and build on it. And so um, I, I do hope that people will like 
we'll take that next step with it, you know. But yeah, so I guess the preview edition is what we'll call it for now. <laughs> I'm deciding that right now. <laughs> oh, that that works for me. So I guess I'm I'm really interested in what you did learn from the preview edition going yeah. into the Kickstarter. Um, and because the Gauntlet has a pretty active community, so I imagine that mm. getting that kind of feedback from people as they're playing is a pretty smooth system, at least. So I I'm wondering what the things were that you saw people doing with the game. You published the preview mm. edition. It's out there, and then you start hearing about, well, we've house-ruled this, or we're ignoring this. Right, yeah, yeah. What were those things that you started seeing people changing about what you wrote? Well, uh, to kind of go back to something you said, the premise of your question, which is like how we sort of rolled the game out, and, and in particular how the community around the game, both within the gauntlet and outside the gauntlet, started experiencing the game. Uh, I'll just say that like that is my chief pleasure in role-playing games, <laughs> you know, like I, I really, really want people to play role-playing games. And, um, and I think the best way to experience a game, the best way to, to sort of understand your own game is to run it and have other people run it and to play it. You know, we didn't really do like a very formal play test program for Brindlewood Bay. Um, I did a little bit of internal play testing before we released the preview edition, but but in but but we felt pretty confident kind of putting it out as it was. But you know, people had a chance to play it. People had a chance to try it out. We we have lots of spaces for people to give for people to give us feedback. And we also because we're, we're very into like sort of um, getting other writers and creators involved in our projects. Um, we we also had a lot of opportunity to just work with other people, you know, on Brindlewood Bay related stuff, and they had their ideas about the game. And so sort of halfway through its preview edition life cycle, we put out a little pamphlet called Nephews in Peril, right? And Nephews in Peril had some like adjusted rules. It was like, okay, well, the game's been out for about eight months now and we've learned a few things. And so we've changed these three rules, <laughs> right? To like, to make it a slightly better experience. Right. And, um, and in this final Kickstarter edition, we've got just a little bit of extra learning as well since then. And so we'll kind of make those changes. But no, that part of the process is really important to me just as a person in role-playing games because people listening to this probably know very well about me that I think that play is the most important thing. I think that the purpose of a role-playing game is to play it. I mean, there's lots of reasons to have a role-playing game. You can enjoy it in lots of different ways. But at the end of the day, it's a game, right? And and so my games, at least, I want them to be played because I kind of view it that way because I have this like really like particular focus on play. That's the important feedback I'm getting, right? You know, like I don't need people's opinions on the visual design, right? <laughs> or like the or like the style. I, I want to know how it went when they when they played it. And so I would be having these conversations about any game that I was interested in, whether I wrote it or not. You know, um, it just happens. It just so happens. Uh, it's very nice that when people were playing Brentwood Bay, it's something that we could actually act on and, you know, make changes and to make adjustments. And, and I think that, uh, that was another great reason not to immediately go to Kickstarter, right. Mm -hmm. You know, just kind of give the game a chance to breathe and, and, and make it the best version it can be, you know. Do you remember getting comments about a particular rule that people were misusing or not using that surprised you? Um, it was not really like, a uh, a rules problem as much as it was just the original edition, the preview edition is pretty slim. And so it doesn't have a lot of keeper advice in it, like advice for what we call the GM as the mm -hmm. keeper. Um, there wasn't a lot of advice for the keepers. And so what we really ran into is just people like needing a little bit of extra help on like how to present a clue, how to work with conditions, how to, uh, you know, do X, Y, or Z. And so I did a series of blog posts to help kind of 
you know, in the interim, sort of support those people a little bit. But that's one of the things I'm really happy we're able to bring to the Kickstarter edition of the book is a very robust, like, keeper support section. Um, I'm a big, big believer in GM advice and GM support. And um, everything we do in the gauntlet, especially on the podcast side, is, like, all about GM support, right? And so um, building that into the... I mean, it's already kind of built into the at system level, right? Because the game has a lot of tech that is directly taken from how I run games. Um, but also we're going to just expand that sort of keeper support part of part of the equation for the final Kickstarter edition. And I think people are going to really love that. So, yeah. So that was really the main thing. There were a couple of just like small rules that mostly just from my own playing of the game, I was like, you know what, I'd rather this be this or this be that, you know, um, the, the cozy move, for example, I didn't, I don't love the original version of it. We, the way we changed it for nephews in peril was a lot slimmer and more punchy, but for the most part, that's really what we ran into with other people was just like, I love this. This is great. Um, I just maybe just a little bit of extra advice on how to do this or that as the keeper would be great. And I also did a bunch of YouTube videos of me running the game to help support that as well. So. Right. Uh, so when you talk about giving keepers more support, uh, maybe hmm. fleshing out some advice that you give, was some of that feedback you were getting based around the idea that um, the published mystery scenarios are two pages there's a front and a back, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. like quick ideas, but it's not mm-hmm. it's not masks of Nyarlathotep. It's not this this <laughs> no, massive it's tome. It's like a <laughs> no, quick no. thing. Did people have trouble getting their heads around two pages for a whole story? Um, maybe I think that the people who sort of were the really like strong fans of this game in the beginning were probably accustomed to this type of scenario design because it's something we've done before. Like trophy has these really like slim kind of uh, theme heavy scenarios, right? Where it's all about just big ideas and, and cool details, you know, and not like a lot of, you know, like paragraphs of information. I like the scenario structure, the slim, highly focused nature of the scenario structure because Fundamentally, Brindlewood Bay and other games we publish, like Trophy, are are collaborative, right? They have a really strong collaborative element. Whereas in something like Call of Cthulhu, that's entirely driven by the GM, um, as far as like pacing the story and the details of the story. Um, in this game, there's a much more like back and forth between the players and the keeper, and so you want that space, you know, in the so that there's you want that space, in the, you know, for the narrative to develop organically. The, the, the mystery structure is there so the keeper always has something to return to. They always have something to go back to. They have a touchstone to like help guide the scenario and to and to get into the headspace of the mystery, right? Like you want to know who these characters are, what are they about, what's the tone of this particular mystery. That's really the purpose of the mystery structure. It, it, it really goes a lot to what I call like gauntlet play culture, right? Which is this play culture that's very rooted in collaborative writer's room style storytelling. And so that's what this is. But the but but I think you're right. Your question hits on something though it's a play culture that we're all very used to many of the listeners of this this podcast are probably very used to but you have gms who are maybe coming from DD and are coming from another more traditional mystery game system like coc and they are maybe not so accustomed to that and so they don't immediately know the the techniques and the spotlight management and the and the sort of collaborative you know focus of how the game is supposed to work and so that's where the keeper advice really comes into play because it's like okay it's like crossing that bridge getting people into our particular play culture's headspace right does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely in deliberately designing a game that is a little more i don't know if minimalism is the right word but it's definitely it's definitely not a giant tome um mm-hmm. 
what are the strengths that come with that? With sort of paring things down rather than blowing them up to 400 pages? It's a fabulous question. And I'm going to try to not talk for an hour about it. Okay, so um, here's the thing, right? I want to go back to like just the idea of mystery role-playing games, yeah. okay? So in my original podcast, The Gauntlet Podcast, which we launched like six years ago or something, the very first episode was about mystery role-playing games. Like episode zero was mystery role-playing games, right? And my co-host Dan and I at the time, we were we really kind of focused on like what wasn't working in mystery role-playing games. And I've had a lot of time to think on that and to incorporate that thinking and that desire to make the mystery game that I want to play a reality, I've had time to kind of put that all into Brindlewood Bay and into the between and, or, you know, to sort of realize it there. And I think this is the real key. I think that a lot of mystery role-playing games try too hard to emulate other mediums, films, books, TV, right? What they don't do is they don't lean on the strengths of role-playing games as a medium, right? What I mean by that is one of the strengths of the medium is it is a sit-down-around-the-table collaborative storytelling effort. We are sitting here as a group telling a story together. It's very interactive. It involves lots of headcanons and people. And it is not like reading a novel where you have a particular point of view, the authors. It is not like a film where you have tons of production values to help get you to the conclusion, right? It is its own particular medium. And so that was the thing that really, for me, unlocked what this mystery system was going to be about, which is how do I take the medium of role-playing games in order to make what I think is like the best mystery system, right? And so... That mystery system, fundamentally, we haven't mentioned it yet, but I think a lot of people know because it's its sort of calling card feature, the mysteries do not have a canonical solution, right? The keeper does not know who did it, you know? The players will be gathering clues, which can be found anywhere, no matter how they investigate. They'll be gathering clues, and once they have enough clues, they'll sit and they'll have an open conversation about who they think did it. And that open conversation is like solving a mystery, right? They'll have that conversation and they're sort of like emergently building the mystery sort of at the end, right? It's like, okay, well, this is what happened. This is who did it and this is why. And they're doing that together and it's happening spontaneously, right, at the table. And so it's it's a way of doing a mystery system in a way that really, really captures what makes role-playing games stand out from other mediums of, of, of entertainment, you know? So that's the real key for me, you know? Like, that was the real thing. Uh, this is, like, super... I mean, I know this is, like, super, like, game design... No. Rabbit hole stuff. No, but like great. When I look at, like, games like Call of Cthulhu, for example, which I I like many things about. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't hate Call of Cthulhu or anything. But, but I just think that, like, the way it wants to deliver clues and mystery to you is the way... As if you're, like... Um, the way like you do it in a movie or a book. And it's just not quite right for the role-playing game context. There's a lot of like pitfalls there, you know? And so the sort of, to go back to your question about the sort of like brevity of the mysteries, um, they are slim, but they're very, very concentrated with important information, right? Like they're slim, two, three pages sometimes, but every block of text like serves a really particular important narrative purpose, right? You have the suspect characters and there's only a paragraph or two about each of them, but it is, 
information that's like most immediately useful to the keeper, right? So three descriptive details, which is a thing I've always loved to do in games. Three descriptive details. They're a basic summary of their role in the story and then a quote so you get a sense of their personality. And in practice, that's all you need to make that character come alive, which I'm sure you can speak to having run the game a fair amount. But so that's the key. It's not about like, I mean, on, on the one hand, yes, you want it to be fairly slim so that there's space for collaborative storytelling, but also it's about making it a highly efficient process for the keeper, right? And for the play and for the players, to be honest, because sometimes there's like, uh, there's a special type of uh, location-based questions called paint the scene questions that are posed to the players as well, right? And so to me, it's not a lack of information. It is a highly, highly focused concentration of information, right? Like maximally useful. So. Right. We played the other day and one of my players said afterwards, every time we play, we get to a point in the story where I think, man, Jonah's really going to have to explain how all this happened. And then I remember, oh, wait, I have to explain it. (laughs) Exactly. You get to explain it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, That's great. That goes back to play culture, too. Like, you know, the play culture that I came up with recently in the gauntlet is, and that we've developed in the gauntlet, is one where it is not just the GM's job to be responsible for dispensing story. It's everyone's job. And it's everyone's responsibility. And I think lots of people say that, right? But with these games, we're actually like like codifying it and structuring it and making it like a part of the rules. So, yeah. Yeah. And I can say just as a, as a keeper, Mm. before I got to Brindlewood Bay, uh, my habit would be to write out something like a node based scenario from the Alexandrians GMing advice. Yeah. Mm. And I would write pages and pages and pages. And if they do, if a, then B or maybe C and then D. And that was fine because I enjoy writing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But once we got to Brindlewood Bay, it was like, all right, what do I have to write? Oh, geez. Oh, geez. I don't have to write for him. Okay. Literally nothing. (laughs) I need some lists and some improv. (laughs) Your prep is uh, 10 minutes to read the scenario before you start. And then, um, but the real prep is the prep you did along the way, right? Like just your general like ability to like sit down with a group of people and tell a story, right? Like that we all share a thing we can all do as human beings, right? Yeah. Um, So, yeah. um, But I'm glad you had that like response, that experience. I mean, I, I, I do think there is a certain pleasure in like doing a lot of heavy prep. I mean, I get that, you know, I'm a, I'm a lonely fun GM. Like I, I really get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but now just my version of lonely fun is just sort of, um, uh, codifying my GM process and making games out of it. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things from the preview edition that we start to see more of coming out of the codex and coming out of some of the contests, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll definitely talk about those is this evolution of, uh, sweeps week. Yes. <laughs> right, the game yeah. was really founded, as you said, around the idea of here is a very concise murder mystery. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of expanded. And you're like, well, those aren't the only kinds of stories you can tell. Right. And I'm yeah. assuming that we're going to see more of Sweeps Week in the Kickstarter. I, we, yes, we are indeed. Um, so Sweeps Week. Okay, so Sweeps Week. So we, we, we have developed essentially, this is another great benefit of like having a two-year preview period, basically. Uh, we've developed a new type of mystery called the Sweeps Week mystery. And what they, a Sweeps Week mystery is not necessarily a murder. It has more of a supernatural focus, and it takes place somewhere in another part of the world, right? Um, It's still the same characters, but they're on vacation or something, and then they run into some mystery, right? The idea of calling it Sweeps Week is, so Brindlewood Bay's whole thing is that it's a TV show, right? (laughs) It's like the book is presented like it's a TV show. Back in the heyday of network television, you would do, or American network television, you would do, uh, they would have these like Sweeps Week 
episodes of your favorite shows. These were like kind of stunt episodes or like episodes where they shifted the, the expectations of the audience a little bit in order to maximize ratings because that's the week when they would get measured for ratings. Right. And so they would do these stunt episodes to really get a lot of eyeballs on the show. And so that was sort of the, that's where the idea for the name came from. The, the name actually came from um, frequent Brindlewood Bay creator, Alicia Furness. But, but the necessity in terms of like why we started putting these mysteries out is because people were playing and finishing the main campaign of Brindlewood Bay and they wanted to keep playing because so, the campaign arc is about 12, 13 sessions or so, right? Uh, you know, at the very end, you face off against the, the cult, which is called the Midwives of the Fragrant Void. Uh, to stop them from raising a monstrosity from the depths of the ocean. You do all that, and then the game is supposed to just end, right? But we had people who were like, well, we want to keep playing. <laughs> and so we created Sweep Sleek Mysteries as essentially like one-off mysteries that have nothing to do with the occult conspiracy and uh, so that you could keep playing. Or if you needed to like have a break, like you wanted a side story or something, you could do that. Or you could run a Sweep Sleek Mystery just as like a convention one-shot, right? Um, it's another great use for them. Essentially a way of giving uh just giving options to 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 play groups who were kind of burning through the material that we had or they've already done their campaign and they, and they love the characters but they want to keep playing in some way and so this was kind of a, a nod to those folks but people are kind of like also using the sweep sweep mysteries as a way of like you know just telling different types of stories you know i mean there's the, what's really nice about the so the game that came after the between eventually was published after uh Brindlewood bay it has all kinds of mystery types right like it's not just murders it's like all sorts of strange mysteries that you can be investigating and this is a way of bringing a little bit of that like mystery diversity into Brindlewood bay as well mm-hmm. okay so let's get into the kickstarter we've seen some the ideas around the preview edition we're starting to see some evolution how it's growing so just to start off what are the big bullet points around the kickstarter and then we'll get into the details yeah the Kickstarter launches uh, April 26th. It, that is going to be a few days after this podcast episode comes out. Um, and so um, please go go do that, listeners. <laughs> uh, go check it out. Uh, April 26th, it runs through uh, Memorial Day, which is May 30th. And we are going to be kickstarting two books. The first book is Brenda Wood Bay, the core book. And then the second book is Nephews in Peril. Now, the core book features the core rules revised and expanded from the preview edition, plus uh, extra chapters about keeper advice and how to build your own mystery, and then six mysteries, the five original mysteries plus the sixth one that I wrote later. And then that's one of the books. And then the other book, Nephews in Peril, is a book that um, about a third of it is dedicated to the town of Brindlewood Bay. It's like a setting of, of the town. So sometimes when you're running a campaign, you just need to know what's the name of the ice cream shop <laughs> or what's a coffee shop in town. Right. So you just kind of go there and find out and it'll have like characters and paint the scene questions that are applicable to that location. That's about a third of the book. And then the rest of the book is just brand new mysteries. And so we have 10 mysteries planned for that book as well. Uh, six murder mysteries and four sweep sweep mysteries. Now, Having said that, as you've alluded to, there are stretch goals which are going to probably expand both books in different ways, um, probably with new mysteries, most likely. We have a few things planned. I don't want to say too much yet, but tentatively, six mysteries in one book, ten mysteries in the other book, uh, but probably more based off stretch goals. So um, you'll have plenty of stuff to, to play at the end of the day. And we've got one kind of like 
big, big stretch goal at the end, which I don't want to talk about yet, but I think people will be pretty excited for it. Um, so those are the two things we're kickstarting. And then we have one add-on for the, uh, for the campaign. The add-ons we thought about were, you know, the obvious things like dice or cards, and that would have been great. But we've decided to do an add-on that is very particular to Brindlewood Bay and very special because we want it to feel special. And so we're going to be doing the Brindlewood Bay Community Cookbook. The Brindlewood Bay Community Cookbook is a church fundraiser style cookbook uh, that was created in the fiction of Brindlewood Bay. So it's like a, a fundraiser cookbook in the town with recipes submitted by characters in the setting. These are real recipes that you can um, that you can use in the kitchen. But here's the twist. Frequent contributor David Morrison, and also a co-host of the Gauntlet Podcast, by the way, uh, David Morrison is going to be writing a solo mystery role-playing game that will go in the margins of the cookbook. So when you have the cookbook, there are handwritten notes in the margins that were made by a murder maven that when you follow through the notes, you will be doing a solo murder mystery RPG as well. And so that is the plan for the add-on. It is only a physical product. There's no digital version of this because we want it to feel like a found object, like a very special thing. And um, you'll be able to add that onto any pledge or you can get all of them in a bundle, like the two books plus the cookbook. That is fantastic. I love that. I'm excited. (laughs) I love that so much. I remember some time ago you posted something about like, "Hmm," something about recipes. And my first thought was, can you write a recipe as a mystery? Yeah. How do I do that? Uh, Well, I I remember I tweeted about that. This is a while ago and we got started like right away, basically. Um, So the, the, like the recipes are already compiled. David's like halfway through writing the mystery part. Like it's just about ready to go. Um, And so it's, it's looking great. We're very excited about it. And um, we think people are going to really love it. I mean, if you are very, very into Brenda Wood Bay, if you love this setting, if you love these characters, if you just love the vibe and aesthetic of the game, uh, you're going to love this. It's going to be like a very special kind of keepsake thing to have. And um, I will say (laughs) that it is being produced in a way so that it looks like a bunch of little old aunties at church made it with like clip art, <laughs> you know, like, like it looks like intentionally a little, a little dodgy, right. Um, in terms of the layout and things like that, like some pages, some pages look like they're literally photo, like photocopied onto the page, <laughs> um, just things like that. Um, so it's going to have that kind of feel as well. That is amazing. I love it. Uh, and that's all. That's all I have to say. I love it. <laughs> it's a good reaction. So yeah. Yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> uh, so this is, uh, this is not the Gauntlet's first Kickstarter. You've, it is not, no. you've, you've done a, a handful so far. And I'm wondering how your approach to running Kickstarters has changed from the first until now. Like, what were some of the lessons you learned early on? You said, yeah. oh, I want to fix that later. Yeah, so we are, this is our fourth Kickstarter. Um, we kickstarted uh, a compilation of our Codex magazine called Codex Volume 1. And then we did uh, Lowell Francis' game, Hearts of Willene. And uh, we're currently in the middle of fulfilling uh, Trophy RPG. Um, it's behind, but uh, thank, thank pandemic, I guess. Um, it's it's pretty delayed, um, unfortunately. But it's we've just, we're have just now going to the printers with trophies, so that's why we're now launching into Brindlewood Bay, because trophies finally at the printers. Um, but yeah, you do learn a lot. We've had to learn a lot in the middle of a pandemic, which is not fun. Um, it is. It makes it makes a complicated process way more complicated than it needs to be, um, and more time consuming, which is um, and expensive, uh, which we don't love. It's kind of one of those things where you know we're very very committed to 
having this publishing business because we feel really strongly about these games. And so we're going to get over these hurdles and make it happen. I think the really key thing for especially a small press publisher is you have to budget properly. That's important. Um, I think it helps to have a lot of like backup resources if you need it. So one of the advantages of Trophy and Brindlewood Bay is we had been selling these games in some other form before they came to Kickstarter. So we had reserves of cash uh, for a rainy day. We haven't needed them, but like if we did, we would have them, you know. Um, that's just a sort of like being prudent kind of, you know, situation. But I really, really think that it's important to have the book done <laughs> before you go to Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. That is a lesson that we have learned. That is the case with Brenda Wood Bay. Um, even the stretch gold mysteries are in some stage of completion. Um, it's just going to depend on whether they make it into the book or not, basically. And so, yeah, that is that is the trickiest thing. And it's hard because you're like, you know, when you're a small team, you do, you, you're working with limited resources and um, it's very, very tricky. But I have learned a lot. The team has learned a lot. And We're excited to take all that learning and put it into this game. As a small press publisher, one of the things that I've become appreciating a a lot more since the pandemic and since I've been doing a lot more online gaming is the variety of digital files that Mm. come. And one of the things that I really like about the way the preview edition to Brindlewood Bay was delivered was that I didn't have to go in and pull out those pages and make my own PDFs. I could get them. The Maven moves were already a separate document, Mm. reference sheets and all that sort of thing. In the modern era, when you're putting out this kind of thing, are there things like that that are just sort of like required to be a part of the RPG package now? I know that there have been times when I've bought a digital game on drive-thru and it came in, uh, you know, 400 pages, one PDF. And I think, I wish I hadn't bought that. Why didn't they just pull out the maps? Just give me 20 files with all the same information. Do you find that people want information delivered a little differently now? Oh, that's interesting. I really can't say for sure. I know how I want it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, like, as a person who uh, runs their own games a lot, I know how I want things to be for my own personal use, and I just hope that that transfers nicely to what other other people want as well. So I do want the mysteries in separate PDFs so that I can easily print them off just the things I need. I do want uh, play sheets and stuff in separate PDFs. That's my personal preference. Um, We have on DriveThru, we have, for some of our publications, we have kind of compiled all that stuff into one PDF just because uh, it's easier for DriveThru purposes to do it that way Mm -hmm. in terms of setting up your, your title. But... Uh, when we release things on Patreon, for example, which are the people who are most likely to start playing the game right away, we do different files so that it's just, I think it's easier to have separate files. Um, I've never really like talked to anybody about their particular preferences or desires, to be honest. Um, I just do what I want that I like when I'm running a game. <laughs> so, Yeah. I mean, I definitely think people are different with that sort of thing. And maybe yeah. I, maybe I just sort of began expecting that because early on it actually might have been Brindlewood Bay because it came with like, oh, here's some multiple files. I'm like, oh, great. I actually don't need to, I don't need to make my own version of this. It already came with separate versions. Yeah, I I mostly run games online. And so for me, the PDF is not just like, I'm going to go print a thing from this. It's like the thing that's going to be living on my computer screen too while I'm trying to run it, you know? And I find it's just easier to have individual PDFs. Like when I'm, 
I open up my folder and it's like, okay, I'm running this mystery. Okay, click, click. I need the conspiracy sheet. Okay, click, click. And, uh, and I'm ready to go. You know, like, like instead of having to like pull up a big single PDF and try to scroll through and figure out, you know, I just, I don't know, just kind of a mess for online play, especially. That's, that's kind of where a lot of that comes from. But I can't say I've really given it too much thought, to be honest. <laughs> um, it's, it's not something I, I dwell on. Yeah. So who is the team on the Kickstarter? Besides you, Cecilia is doing yeah. a ton of art. I talked mm. to her the other day, and she's fantastic, and I love her visual style. Mm. But I know that it's not only the two of you, that there it takes more than two to build a project <laughs> like this. Yeah. So the thing about our projects is we do have separate teams working on everything. So, like, this team is a totally different team from, say, Trophy or Hearts of Willin, you know, even though they're all under the Gauntlet's banner. Uh, this particular team is uh, principally myself as the creator of the game. and But also um, we've got the artist, uh, Cecilia, as you mentioned, our layout uh, expert Harold Eckmiller. I will note that Jesse Ross laid out the preview edition and kind of set the tone for the visual style of that game. Uh, but Harold is doing the the ultimate layout for the Kickstarter version. And then my publishing partner, David Lafaniere, uh, who helps with a lot of the editing and a lot of the sort of like editing and developmental stuff, that, that side of it. Um, that's the core team. And then we have a number of folks who have written uh, mysteries for the game that are to be included in Nephews in Peril. Names you might know, uh, Alicia Furness, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Chris Bissett, who is um, at Pan Galactic on Twitter. It's where you might know them from. We've got David Morrison, uh, Petra Volkhausen, uh, Sharang Biswas, award-winning game designer Sharang Biswas. Um, loads of people who, who are writing mysteries as well. Uh, the core team, though, is myself, David, um, Cecilia and Harold. So, yeah. When I knew the concept of Brindlewood Bay, before I bought it, I saw Cecilia's art. Hmm. And sometimes it's the art alone that makes you say, okay, I need to look more into this. What really made you think that her visual style would represent this game? I mean, I have to say perfectly. <laughs> I think so. It's amazing. Yeah, it's I amazing. Think so. so her artwork, for people who haven't seen it, um, has a very, I would say, a soft, whimsical style. It has a softness to it, like the lines, the 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 shading, the the just. It has a round softness to it that I think is really lovely and pleasant to look at. Um, we had worked with her on Codex pieces. And so we had a working relationship already. And so I wanted to do, do a bigger project with her. And when I was thinking about the art style, a, th a thing about the game that I love is that the game at the outset, very cozy and about these cuddly little old ladies in mm -hmm. New England, right? And their hobbies like baking and knitting, you know, it's, it's, it's this like sort of coziness, right? And that's really where, that's really where her art style comes into play, right? But then as you're playing the game, uh, it does shift to be more of a horror game as the campaign goes on, you know? And so it was important to me that the whole experience, like visually and design wise, sort of conveyed this like what I consider to be like the sort of like grand narrative arc of Brindlewood Bay, right? And so your initial experience with the game is that coziness, right? It's that softness. And so that's the artwork you get. People tell me this all the time. They're like, I had a certain expectation. And then when I got into the text and when we started playing, I realized that this is a hell of a lot weirder and scarier than I thought it was going to be. And that's just, that's the way I want it to be, right? Like it's almost like a, like, you know, the, you're, the, the cover is meant to deceive you a little bit, right? Um, we have nods to the darkness 
this in the artwork though, because like some of the bigger pieces, especially they'll, they'll have like some little dark shadowy element in the background, right. <laughs> to kind of hint at that darkness to come. And uh, so I just like, I just like the sort of um, the irony of it, I guess, but also the style is just really lovely. It just looks very, it's very pleasant. The colors are so nice to look at. And, and for this particular book, um, she's come up with this really fantastic color scheme. That's like sort of, uh, contrasting purple and green, you know? So you've got these like sort of lavenders and purples with these like teals and blues and greens. And, um, it looks really, really nice. I can't say I've seen a role-playing game book, uh, probably ever that uses a color scheme like in this way. Um, and it, I think it really, it's, it's very striking. Um, and both of the books, uh, are very complementary in that way. Like the covers, if you look at the two covers side by side, they look different because they're different books, but they are unified by this like particular um, like interplay between warmth and coolness and the colors and the different contrasting color schemes. Like they just, they, they, they look really nice together. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, she does fabulous work. And um, in our projects, I pay really close attention to, I don't, I don't want to get just any artist, right? It has to be like the right artist for the piece. You know, that's important to us. And and um, with Trophy, it was easy because Jesse, the creator of the game, is also the artist of the game. And so um, so that was pretty, you know, that game, Trophy, is so much like Jesse's vision. And um, and to be fair, it's a co-publication between us and, and him. But for like Brindlewood Bay and The Between, it was all about like marrying my vision, which is a person who is not an artist, <laughs> with, the, with, with an artist who could kind of match and, and indeed enhance what uh, what we want to do, so um, that's 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 a tricky alchemy I've learned in publishing. But um, but once you hit it, you really you know, it's good. We're getting close to the end of our time, but I don't think we can stop without really highlighting another thing that makes the whole Gauntlet community unique for me, and that's the support of community created content. Yeah, and that's everything from the contests that you've held, where you write scenarios, write mysteries for these games, write more and if you want to create your own version of Brindlewood Bay you can do that yeah. I guess talk about that idea of letting people take what you've written and do their really do their own thing with it yeah yeah um it is just a part of our culture I guess like I said earlier for me play is really important community is really important um this is my business now and it's my job now, right, to some extent. But my pleasures and the reason why I do it at all is because I do like those interactions with the community. I do like to feel like we're kind of doing something together, you know. And um, that's just where I draw a lot of, like, um, I just have a lot of love for the hobby in that way. And so it's always been kind of a big part of our, of our publishing identity to invite other people to create things for the games. And so for Trophy, for example, which is probably the most um, famous example of that, great big, huge swathes of the Trophy books are like material that we have, um, you know, either came from a contest or they're from folks that we just know in the community. And we had, we kind of collaborated on an idea and we sort of made it all into one cohesive project, but it kind of started as this sort of like very, uh, you know, widespread kind of like community effort, you know? And so I think it just, I think it's a great way of marketing your games. I think it's a great way of staying in love with your games. This is important, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it lets you constantly like love something about your game. Like I love that people are excited about this creating for it. That's, that's another avenue of pleasure in the creation process for me. And also uh, it's a chance to give like 
voices who are maybe newer to the scene or not well represented in the scene to have a chance to sort of like get their work out there. That's something we've always done with the Codex magazine, for example. And this is just the sort of next evolution of that, right? It's like, um, you know, there are people who are writing for Brindlewood Bay now who have gone on to produce their own things, their own projects, their own Kickstarters. And they kind of, a lot of their inspiration came from the work they did for us on Brindlewood Bay, you know, or, and so, uh, or Trophy or whatever, right? Like, it's like equal parts, like personal enjoyment, hobby sustainability. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, uh, you know, it's a business. Yes. We all, we, in order to keep the lights on, we have, it has to be a business, but there's a way you can do it to where it remains joyous and remains community focused. And I think we've, I think we've really done it. So if someone wants to get involved, maybe they they're hearing this for the first time and think that this sounds like an amazing community because mm-hmm. I think it is like, where would you send them? Where, where mm-hmm. does someone go to learn more about getting involved? Well, so right now at this moment, um, and until the end of May or the 22nd of May, um, we are doing a writing contest for Brindlewood Bay. So it's just a little contest for, to write either a murder mystery or a sweeps week mystery, a sweeps week mystery. And, uh, there's some, there's some prizes, but the important thing is it's an opportunity and an invitation to join our discord and just kind of hang out with other people who are participating in the contest and kind of share ideas and stuff. Right. It's a good space to try it out because the only thing that's at stake is okay maybe you don't win <laughs> right but but we still got to like you know I still got to like talk about my ideas with someone I still got to get feedback from someone uh, whenever we do contests I review every entry um, which is painstaking work but I do it I review every single entry uh, and give feedback on them it's I, I think it's a great opportunity I like the contest structure personally just because I think it pushes people to to maybe try a little harder and to do their very best, you know? So that's one thing you can do right now. But otherwise I would just say, join the gauntlet publishing discord and the amount of like people who are just creating, asking for ideas or giving feedback on someone else's ideas. It's just a constant thing in that discord. And, um, and I just think it's a great space and, and, and importantly, it's a supportive space without a, it's not the kind of space where it's like, I am a cutthroat marketer trying to get my thing out in the world. You know, it's not like that, right? It's not like I'm trying to like, it's just people who are just like creating and having a good time and enjoying each other's company and feedback. And that is supportive and encouraging while still being like fairly laid back and low stakes. You know, I think it's a good mix. Um, that's what I would do. Um, I'm there all the time. So if it's just a matter of like getting FaceTime with me. That is the best place to do it. Uh, so, yeah. I think that is probably the end of our time. Is there a final message you would like to leave people with? I mean, Kickstarter is probably the big one. Uh, Yeah, uh, April 26th in a few days as of the release of this episode. And uh, so please go check it out. Um, I'm sure we'll have a link in the show notes. And yeah, uh, Brindlewood Bay is just really, really special to me. I mean, I this is my first game. Um, I have spent literal years um, building up other game designers and promoting other game designers through podcasts and publication and uh, helping out as much as I can to be a good community member. And this is like my, this is my first thing basically. And I'm really, I really hope people show up for it. I, I, I just, it would mean a lot to me. It'd be very special to me. So um, yeah, I, April 26th. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Jason. Thanks for talking to me, Jonah. 